Father, I thank you for the anointing that's on the Word of God. That when the Word of God is preached and is being preached all over this world, all over this nation right now, there are people, every time it's preached, that will be set free for the first time. There are people that will be pulled out of strongholds. There are people, Father, that even today will get this message of grace, this message of righteousness, Father, and that's so exciting to me. That is so exciting to me. That's what it's all about, to see a true reflection of how good our Daddy and how good our Jesus is. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you saw the message title on the board. It's called, For That Reason. I was looking in uh, last night, actually, in the book of 2 Timothy, and I saw the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to Timothy. And Apostle Paul being, of course, that great man of God, boy, he's, he's lifting up Timothy. You know, there are just times in life that we need encouragement, especially pastors, I'm telling you. The truth of the matter is, until you get this message of righteousness and grace, it's work. But when you get the message of grace, what you learn to do is you learn to start flowing in grace. Jesus will help you. In fact, he said he sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper. Did he say that? He said that. Is the Holy Spirit still here? If the Holy Spirit is not here, we are all in trouble. I would just say, let's just pack up and go home. He's here and he's with us. So 2 Timothy opens up with the Apostle Paul writing a letter to Timothy to encourage him. I remember meeting an evangelist years ago. It was, whoa, wow, it was like, oh my goodness, probably almost right after I got saved. It was about 20 years ago. He knew for a fact that God had called him to preach. There was no question about it. And when you heard him preach, you knew God had called him to preach. But of course, when I heard him, he had been preaching for many, many years. But he told the story that he said, young into my ministry, he said, I was getting the invitations to come and preach. He said, when I would preach, he said, man, the congregation was absolutely dead. <laughs> he, he said, I didn't get a single amen from nobody month after month. And he said, I had a stutter. He said, uh, you know, I really wasn't the most eloquent preacher, speaker. He said, my brother was the one that was eloquent in our family. And I thought, God, you made a mistake. It was my brother you were looking for. It wasn't me. And every time he went and preached it, it confirmed it all the more. Nobody's receiving. And he said he was just about to call it quits. He was going to preach that last message in some church that didn't invite him. He said when he was just about done, there was a lady on the front row that couldn't contain herself. He said she jumped up. He said she must have weighed 400 pounds. She threw her hands on their hips and said, he doesn't look like much, but man, that man can preach. And he said it was just that little bit of encouragement that says, God, I know you've called me to preach, and I'm going to preach the Word of God. God knows how to encourage people. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is doing in this second letter to Timothy. He's encouraging him. Let's read it. It begins in verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. He's telling Timothy, Timothy, when I go to bed at night I'm thinking about you. I I'm praying for you, Timothy. He said, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears. Now, that's an amazing thing to say. Timothy, I, I never forgot when I got around you, you're tender hearted. That's a good thing to, to be in the, in, in the ministry of God. Would you agree? <laughs> be tender hearted. He said, I remember your tears. You were always crying. He said, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now, watch what he says here. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And we're going to talk about that for a little bit. Faith. Faith. 
He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. He said, I saw it, first of all, in your grandmother Lois. <laughs> he said, then I saw it in your mother Eunice. He said, I am persuaded that that same faith is living on the inside of you. And then watch what he says. He says, for that reason. What reason? The reason that faith was in him and working in him. Faith was alive. The Apostle Paul didn't give you a long resume of Timothy's accomplishments. He just said, Timothy, I see a faith that's on the inside of you. And faith will carry you. Faith will move mountains. Faith will, will get the job done, Timothy. He said, for that reason, he said, I remind you. This is an interesting thing that he says. He says, I remind you to fan into flame. He said, listen, I know there's combustion because there's smoke here. I know there's something burning down in their side. But he said, I'm encouraging you to fan into flame. And guess what he says? He says, fan into flame the gift of God. Oh, I love that. The gift of God. The word gift there is the word harras. It means grace. He said, Timothy, listen. Listen to the Apostle Paul one time. He said, I want you to stir up. I want you to let this flame become a roaring fire on the inside of you. He said, fan into flame the grace of God. That's, listen, if the Apostle Paul tells you to do that, you better do it, right? Fan into flame the grace of God. He said, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so when you read something like that, you got to say, the gift of God what is the gift of God? Well, we, of course, we know Jesus is the manifestation of the gift of God. He is the gift of God. So I went over into Romans chapter 5, verses 15 through 17 last night. The Bible says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, who's that one man? That's Adam, isn't it? Many died by the trespass of one man. How much more did God's grace... Oh, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man. He hasn't revealed the gift yet what it is. He just said, listen, this gift came by the one man, Jesus Christ. He said it overflowed into many. It says, it says nor can the gift of God be compared to one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin. Adam just sinned one time and then we all fell under this judgment. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he sinned one time. And it says it brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. And that's one of the words I'm going to be hammering on for a little while today. The gift followed one man and it brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace. Am I in the Bible? I'm in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. He says, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace. Now, he's going to reveal the gift now. And he says, and the gift of righteousness. There's the gift. Righteousness is your gift. He said, and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we have to keep breaking this thing down and just to elementary stuff. You know, it's like the guy that wants to do algebra, but he hasn't learned his times table yet. It's impossible, right? 
You got to learn the basic stuff first. And then once you get that down and you get it down big time, if I just said to anybody in here, what's eight times seven? You know, right away your mind goes to 56. What's nine times seven? 63. I mean, we've learned all that since we were kids. Whatever number you make up, we've got it down. These are building blocks to understand God's grace and God's love and God's mercy and the gift that you have on the inside of you, the gift of righteousness. We turn a few pages to the right, we run into 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 15 through 17 say this, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, watch it, he lowers the bomb here, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Oh, what, what wonderful news. What did the Apostle Paul say there in, in verse 15? He said, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. All scriptures are holy, of course, but you've known the holy scriptures. And he says, Timothy, it's because you've known the word. It's because you've known the scriptures. It's because you know God's word. He says, it's able to make you wise unto salvation. And that word salvation right there literally has the connotation to rescue us. I'm going to tell you something. When you apply the Word of God to your life, it will rescue you from being stupid. <laughs> It'll just rescue you from doing dumb stuff. Amen. When you apply the Word of God, quit walking by emotions. I'm talking about in every dimension of our life. I'm talking about in our finances. I'm talking about in our bodies. I'm talking about in relationships. I'm talking about in your ministry. Whatever it may be. Listen to the Word of God. Let it trump everything that you're feeling. And that from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures. How did he know the Holy Scriptures? Because his mama Eunice and his grandmother Lois put him in him. And that's why it's so important to train up children. You know what? We're all children. We're just at different levels, right? We're all children, though. You know, I mean, I was almost 35 years old when I came to the Lord. I mean, I was a baby. I, I still feel like I'm a baby in many ways in the message of grace, but I mean, I was just a baby. But, you know, there comes a point in time where the bottle comes out and you start eating some solid food. But you got to get the foundation in place first. He said, in that from a child, you've known these holy scriptures and they're able to make you wise unto salvation. All scripture, he said, is given by inspiration of God. And watch what it's profitable for, for doctrine. That's to show you what's right. For reproof, that's to show you what's not right. For correction, that's to show you how to make it right. And then he says, for instruction in righteousness. And I love this one. And what the Lord spoke in my heart last night was, to, he said, that's to reveal the one who keeps you right. Oh, man, I just wanted to start dancing. Yes, yes, yes. See, it's not all about me working everything out. It's not about me wearing myself out. God is the one who's revealed himself to me that he is the one who keeps me right. That's what the true message of righteousness and grace will do for you. It will reveal the beauty of the one who holds you. It will reveal the beauty of the one who keeps you right. So I'm not always tiring myself out trying to keep myself right. So, Jesus said, listen, you've got to get this word on the inside of you. You've got to get this word deep down inside of you. And I love this because he was talking to the religious group, you know, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, all those religious folks there. And in John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, he said this. He said, you study the scriptures diligently, and you could just about see them. 
That's right, we do. <laughs> we sure do. You study the scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. Listen, the scriptures will point you to eternal life, but they can't give you eternal life. They'll point you to the one who can, but they were putting their hope in the scriptures themselves. They were putting their hope in, in, in something other than Jesus. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Life is in Jesus, isn't it? Life is in Jesus, I'm telling you. There's people that can quote the Bible better than I can, much better than I can. They've memorized, in fact, certain religions memorize uh, the first five books of the Bible. That's a lot of memorization now. But Jesus said, you refuse to come to me to have eternal life. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, he's talking with another religious group. And Jesus said to them plainly, you are in error. You're wrong. Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Many believers do not understand what they possess. They just don't get what they possess when it comes to righteousness, how powerful righteousness is. And that's what I'm going to really be talking about today. They don't have that revelation. They've reduced righteousness down to performance-based religion. Now, let me shift gears. I, I wanted to lay that little bit of a foundation for the message. Imagine a person for a moment has read Romans chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4. And then you took your ribbon and you marked it and you went and played in the Psalms for a week. And then you came over here to the Proverbs and played for a week. And then you come over to the Gospels and you play around for a week. And he's like, you think, oh, you know what? I got to get back to Romans. So I'm going to go back to the fifth chapter. Unless that person has phenomenal retention, they are not going to fully comprehend the reason for that big celebration in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. They're just not going to get it. Why? Because most people will have not retained the framework that was set in place through Romans chapters 1 through 4, and they will have lost the cohesion of the Scriptures in terms of the flow of the Scriptures. The result is the flow of the Scripture is interrupted. Do you know it's a fact that people that are sitting under the Word today, by the time they hit the parking lot, will have lost 90% of what they heard? By Wednesday or Thursday of the next week, another 6 or 7% is gone. And by actually the following Sunday, most of them can't even hardly remember who preached last week. Go over the word over and over and over again and suck out every bit of revelation that you can get, that you can extract out of it. Oh, it's so wonderful. You see, Romans chapter 5, let me get into Romans chapter 5 here. It begins with that big nine-letter word, therefore. That word literally translates as, for that reason. But see, if I cannot recall what I read leading up to that in the previous chapter, it's going to be challenging for me to really appreciate what follows. Let me say it another way. In order for me to harness the message on the right side of therefore, I need to reacquaint myself. This is, I'm talking about context. I need to go back and reacquaint myself with everything I read leading up to that. That's the power of, of studying in context. Not just reaching over here and pulling the scripture out and reaching over here and pulling the scripture out and thinking they mean the same thing. They could mean something totally different. You bring them together, that's what's called context. When I was growing up in church, maybe you grew up in the same type of church. I want to tell you something. We couldn't have uh, board games that had dice because oh, Las Vegas has got dice. That's a form of gambling. 
Couldn't go to the movie show, you know, the theater. This is amazing. They, they didn't wear any jewelry. Because over there in Peter, they took that scripture totally out of context. No jewelry. Uh-uh. They finally got to the point where you could wear a watch. That was it. Couldn't wear a wedding ring. You could be married and not have a wedding ring on. Because you're not supposed to wear gold, according to the Bible. Wait a minute. You know, the Lord took me to something this morning, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 9 through 12. I think this is awesome. I wish I would have known this back then. I would have just taken this scripture and said, wait a minute now. I know we've got some doctrine that believes a certain way, but let me show you something I see in the Bible. God is saying, he says, I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. Watch what he's about to say. He says, I adorned you with jewelry. <laughs> I put bracelets. Oh, my church would have fallen apart. Are you kidding me? I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And he says, I put a ring in your nose. <laughs> Oh, man, that was back in the 60s and 70s when I was in that church, man. And I want to tell you something. Oh, man, they would have fallen apart if you had had a nose ring, man. They just would have fallen apart. I put a ring on your nose. He said, I put earrings on your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. God is saying that to Ezekiel. Let me tell you something about taking things out of context so you understand what I'm saying. I'm a picture person, so God has to talk to me through pictures and stories and analogies. And this is what he dropped in my heart a couple days ago. Imagine yourself, you're in an airport. You're in the terminal that you're going to fly out of. And you see one empty chair. You want to sit down. You've got a half an hour wait in front of you. You've got one empty chair. But it's right next to a guy who's talking on his cell phone. And you think, oh, I don't want to go sit next to him. I don't want to hear about all of his business. And I don't want to make him uncomfortable. But you think, I'm going to go sit down anyway. And you go sit down. And imagine the first thing you hear him say. The very first words you hear him say is, a couple of our kids died yesterday. You'd go, oh my goodness. You start praying for him and praying for the family. Let's rewind the tape a second here. This man is a goat farmer. You know what they call baby goats? They call them kids. See, you don't have that context, though. You don't have that frame of reference. So what you're doing is you're taking it totally out of context. That's why it's so beautiful as we enter into Romans chapter 5 verse 1 to see what in the world led up to him to be able to say, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how it starts. So if I take that word therefore out of there and I insert for that reason, for that reason, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. My question I would simply ask is, for what reason? I didn't see the reason. I saw the result, but I didn't see the reason. And so when I go back and think, okay, the reason we have peace with God, the reason I've been justified, that's worth discovering. Let me go back into Romans chapter 4 and figure out what is going on. Why do I have this assurance? It's important to know. The Bible says that we are to be able to be instant, ready to give an answer to anybody who asks you, why do you have this hope? Don't know why I've got all this hope. Yes, I can tell you why I've got all this hope. You should always be ready to give people a reason for the hope. And it's expressed different ways. It happened to be expressed in someone being born again. So when I went back into Romans chapter 4 and I said, okay, Jesus, I want to see the reason I've got this hope. The reason that I'm justified. 
And in Romans chapter 4, if you look at the first three verses and the last three verses, you'll see it so clear. First three, last three. And I know I've plowed this ground before, but it's worth looking at again. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, I want to stop here for a second. He's saying, Paul is saying, if Abraham was justified by what he did, if Abraham was justified by his performance, he said, he's got really something to brag about because Abraham was bad to the bone. He was an awesome man. And he said, if he did that all on his own, man, he's got something to brag about. But he's not done with the, the sentence yet. <laughs> but he says, but not before God. You can brag to your friends, you can brag to your co-workers, you can brag to the strangers, you can brag to your neighbors, but not before God if you feel like you are the one who's earned it. Not before God. He says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did he do? So simple. Here's a pattern for our relationship with the Lord. All Abraham did was believe God. We got to quit trusting so much in our own stuff. You know what I mean? I mean our own money, our own intellect, our own wit, our own talents, our own abilities, our own skills. I'm not saying you neglect that stuff. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying our trust must be in God. Amen. He said Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That word credited is the word lagizomai. Lagizomai. It has this reference to facts. It's a fact. Not a supposition. Not an opinion, but a fact. Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Every two weeks I get a paycheck, thank God. We have direct deposit. So what I get looks like a check, but it's non-negotiable. But the amazing thing though, is every single time, without exception, whatever it said on the check is exactly what I'll find in the bank. <laughs> it's exactly. You think once in a while be like a penny or two higher over here, or maybe lower a dollar. It'd be something would be different. It's always the same. It's supposed to be that way. So what God says, if God says, I have credited to your account a righteousness, then we need to walk and talk like righteousness has been credited to our account. Walk and talk like righteousness. I'm not talking about with arrogance. I'm not talking in a manner like you think you're better than somebody. No, not like that at all. But walk like Jesus would walk. Walk with righteousness. It literally means it's been deposited in us. Now, it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Skip ahead 20 verses and it concludes this way. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now I can almost feel the crescendo beginning to build because I know what's coming after this. It's starting to build. I can just feel it right here. He says, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And then the Bible says, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That is the gospel. That's the gospel. He was crucified for our sins, and then he was raised to life for our justification. Isn't that what Romans chapter 5 verse 1 is telling you? He's telling you you've been justified. Justification has ran its course. You have been justified. Amen. 
Now when I read Romans chapter 5 verse 1, because right after it says that he was raised to life for our justification, it spills right over into Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Now the therefore makes sense. Now for that reason makes sense. What is the reason? He was crucified for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Justification just literally means to be declared righteous. That's all it means. So Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection was the payment for justification so that we could be declared righteous and we could have peace with God. Here's the amazing thing. When Jesus died, guess what? We died with him. The Bible says that when Jesus died, we died. We died. Romans chapter 6, verse 8. Now it says, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. What did it say? We died with Christ. We died with Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I love this scripture. It begins with, I am crucified with Christ. You know what? I don't know of any historians, I don't know of any documentations that say they had a botched crucifixion. When you got put on the cross, friend, you didn't come off the cross until you were dead. There were no botched crucifixions. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When Jesus called Lazarus from the grave, he was just saying, listen, take off those wraps of unrighteousness. Take off those grave clothes. Because that's what the ministry of the law is. The Bible says it's the ministry of death. And Jesus said, take the grave clothes off him, take the law off of him, because he was under the law. And he said, loose him, loose him. When Jesus died, we died. When Jesus was buried, we were buried with him. We were buried with Jesus. You see, because when he died, we were inside of him at the time. And so if he was buried, we were buried. The Bible says in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. And you know what? Anybody that's been baptized, we've probably all been baptized. You've heard the preacher, the minister say, they symbolize it through the cross, the grave, and the resurrection. You have the vertical man on the cross, the same man in the grave, Jesus, and the resurrection of that same man, Jesus. That's baptism for you. You start off in the vertical posture, don't you? <laughs> you get held underwater, hopefully not too long, and then you get brought up out of the water. That's baptism. And the Bible says we were baptized into Jesus, into his death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may be able to live a new life. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him. Don't let anybody ever talk you out of the fact that you died with Christ and you were buried with Christ because it's in the scriptures. You were buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. I want to tell you something. If it was no more than for that reason alone right there, I'd put my hope in him. The Bible says that when Jesus was raised to life, we were raised to life with him. We were raised to life with him. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. I love these scriptures. But because of his great love for us, 
Think about that for a second. Because of his great love for us, then it says, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. <laughs> oh, if there's a reason to start shouting, that's the one right there. Since you have been raised with Christ, the Bible says, set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Do you see what he says? Because you've been raised with Christ, because you've died with him, because you've been buried with him, because you've been raised with Christ, he says because of those reasons right there, we can set our hearts on things above. I'm going to be honest with you. Throughout my Christian walk, I've had people tell me this, and not directly, and then indirectly, both. But they've said, you know, you know you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Anybody ever told you that? I've had people tell me that. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I've had somebody tell me that before. In other words, they're thinking, you're always thinking spiritually, is what they're kind of getting at. You're always thinking about God. You want to bring God into everything. He says here, set your hearts on things above. Be heavenly minded. Jesus was heavenly minded. Jesus was fatherly minded. He was mercy minded. He was grace minded. He was love minded. He was healing minded. He was, you need something to eat minded. He was, you need something to, to learn minded. He was always about being heavenly minded. And in Acts chapter 10 verse 38, we've been quoting that scripture over the last couple of weeks. The Bible says when this anointing came upon Jesus, when the Bible says he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, that God filled him with the Spirit. The Bible says he went around doing good. He went around doing good. He was heavenly minded. He knew exactly who he was. So if he got challenged, no big deal. It's really no big deal. I know how to work through these things. He was heavenly minded. Back to Romans chapter 4, verses 23 through 25. The words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch what preceded our privilege to be justified by faith? It was simply he was delivered over to death for our sins and he was raised to life for our justification. Why? The question is, I said to the Lord, why is it so important for us to understand this righteousness that we have? We have this infused righteousness. You know, we're not just like clothes in a dryer tumbling around in Christ. It's not the way it is. There's an infusion that's taken place. We've become one with him. You know what I felt the Lord say? He said, too many of, of the body is mercurial. I don't use that word very often. It's not, it comes from the root word mercury, not talking about the planet, but it's talking about the mercury in thermometers. Mercurial means you're, you're kind of fickle. You're up one moment, you're down the next. You're up one moment, it's like a thermometer, down the next. 
And you know what? Until you understand your righteousness, that's what's going to happen. The devil's going to have you up one day, down the next. Up one day, you know, you went to a week-long revival. Man, I'm up. Man, I'm praising the Lord. But now I've had a little bit of a failure, a little bit of setback. Now my mercury's coming down. No, when you understand righteousness and the evidence that righteousness is truly at work in your life, even when you fail, even when you've missed the best opportunity that God's wanting to do in your life, even when you feel like you've blown it, the mercury stays up. <laughs> the mercury stays up. Your hands can stay up because I'm going to tell you something. What the enemy wants to do is he wants to snatch the praise away from you. And if you feel like you're not worthy to praise him, he'll take it from you. I mean, sometimes in the darkest, most trying times of my life, I've had to just lift my hands and say, Jesus, I know who I am. I know who you are. And nothing is going to change that. The revelation of true righteousness will stop that nonsense. In James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, it says this, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Now, in other words, you ask God for anything. He says you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. He's blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is a double-minded man and unstable in all of his ways, is what the word says. What is James saying? What are you saying, James? He's saying, don't be led by the wind. Don't be led around by the wind. Be led by the word. <laughs> See, the wind represents natural. The word represents spiritual. Listen, there are things that are going to come and try to rock your boat like the fire. There are things that are going to come and try to rock your world. You're going to feel like you failed. Listen, you don't know how many times growing up preaching, I, I walked off the stage and I just said, that was crazy. That was the craziest thing I've ever did. Do you know when Billy Graham was called to preach? He was sitting on a, a stage with several other ministers. You know who Billy Graham is. That's, that's, that's an awesome evangelist now. He was sitting on a stage and he brought five messages with him on the stage just so that he had plenty of preaching material. And when they called him to preach, he got up there, he spoke for about six minutes. He said, I went through every single one of my message. I had no more to, to preach. He said, I felt humiliated. I went and sat down. He said, God, you have not called me to preach. Did God call him to preach? Do we know that God called him to preach? He called him to preach, didn't he? But sometimes that's what the enemy will do. He'll make you want to feel like you have failed. Listen, sometimes we do, we do it essentially, but listen, our righteousness doesn't change. Our righteousness is secure. And when you realize that, I want to tell you something. It takes the grave clothes off of you. I'm righteous. No matter what I've done, I am righteous. The enemy is always wanting to confuse us when it comes to this subject of righteousness. Primarily, he does it through the mixture of covenants. That's one of the ways he does it, is by us not rightly dividing the old covenant from the new covenant. Because we look at it and we say, what's well, all in the Bible? Yeah, it's all in the Bible, but it's old covenant. And that's why when we tap into people like Joseph Prince and Andrew Womack and Paul White and Creflo Dollar, these men that are preaching about righteousness, and we begin to hear this word of righteousness being preached, I want to tell you something. It is about love. It's about grace. It's about establishing us in righteousness and let them be the building blocks that will, God will be able to say, okay, now I can really do something in your heart and in your life and in your ministry. Amen. Justified. As I said before, justified means declared innocent, not guilty, acquitted. It's courtroom jargon. It's courtroom verbiage. It's courtroom language. By virtue of the very definition of this word justified, 
we know that a legal process has ran its course. And guess what the verdict is? Not guilty. When he said you're justified, that literally means there was a legal process that took place. And Jesus became the payment for our sins. And he said because of that reason, for that reason, you have been justified through faith. I love this about justification. When you look up the word justification, it says righteousness. <laughs> and when you go over here and look up righteousness, it says justification. You go look up justification, it points to righteousness. Righteousness points to justification. It's like justification says, hey, righteousness, thank you. <laughs> and righteousness says, no, hey, thank you. <laughs> and justification says, no, really, really, thank you. <laughs> no, no, thank you. They work together. Justification exalts righteousness, and righteousness exalts justification. They work together. Justification is incomplete without righteousness. In other words, justification is what Jesus did by dying on the cross. The Bible says he, he died for our sins. Therefore, he was raised to life for our justification. If that's all he did, and we don't receive this gift of righteousness, there is a place that God has prepared for the devil. He doesn't want human beings to go there. Listen, when it talks about committing the unpardonable sin, I mean, a lot of people get really freaked out about that. Believers can't do it, first of all. Believers cannot do it. The unpardonable sin, Jesus himself said, if you blaspheme me, is what he said, he said, you're going to be forgiven. But he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. If you blaspheme him, you'll not be forgiven in this life or in the life to come. Well, what's the difference? They're all God, Jesus. I used to think, what is the difference? Was the Holy Spirit more... Like in a higher rank or something like that? You can, I'll tell you what the difference is. Because there's no one coming after the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, listen, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So if you make fun of me, you mock me, you, you blaspheme me, you reject me. Blasphemy is literally rejection. That's what the word blasphemy means. It means to reject. He said, you can reject me and you're going to be forgiven. If I send the Holy Spirit and he comes and you continually live in rejection. I'm not talking about a believer. I'm talking about when he's wooing and calling you to come to the cross to be saved. And you say, no, thank you. I don't want your righteousness. See, because the fine's already been paid. It's so easy to be saved. I saw a guy do it yesterday in two or three minutes. I said, can I pray for you? He said, sure. I laid my hand on his chest and I said just a couple of things. And I said, have you ever asked Jesus? I stopped my prayer and said, have you ever asked Jesus to come into your heart? No, I've never asked him to do that. Would you like to? Yes, I would like to. Righteousness is so easy to reach out and grab a hold of. But Jesus said, listen, I want to send the Holy Spirit. If you reject him over and over when he's calling you to come to my father, I don't have anything left. You said, I don't want you. Okay. All right, you don't have to have me. It's a free gift. So justification is incomplete without righteousness, and righteousness is impossible without justification. See, God can't just say, I'm going to forgive you without there being a legal process. Someone had to pay for sin. Would you agree with that? Someone had to pay for sin. You say, wait a minute, Mark. Didn't you just tell me back there, all the way back there in Genesis, that Abraham was declared righteous. Jesus hadn't died yet. Oh, I got you on that one, don't I? You said, wait a minute, you can't, be, you can't have righteousness without justification. Jesus hadn't died yet. And Abraham, the Bible says, was righteous. You haven't read what's in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8 then. Because the Bible says, the Lamb 
was slain before the foundation of the world was laid. Spiritually speaking, Jesus had already been slain before God even said, let there be light. That's a thought I can't even almost wrap my heart around. That Jesus was slain in the heart of his daddy even before he laid the first pillar on earth. Because he is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He could look ahead and he could say, oh, I know what mankind's going to do. But you know what? I, I, I want them anyway. He was slain before the foundation of the earth was laid. Understanding righteousness is crucial to walking in victory and falling deeper in love with Jesus. I want to tell you something. I love him more than I've ever loved him. He's not loved me any more than he's loved me. It's because, and even the Bible says that in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 15, it says, awaken unto righteousness. And that's what's taken place in my heart. I've awakened. I've got the revelation of this righteousness. I've awakened to it. I'm alive. I'm not some dead old sinner. I'm alive. I died with him. I was buried with him. I was resurrected with him. Friends, I got to show you something. An object lesson. It was about two months ago, maybe three months ago, that God dropped this in my heart, and I just really haven't had an opportunity to preach it yet. It fits in this message today, so I'm going to. What I'm holding in my hand right now is something called epoxy. It's a glue, a very, very industrial glue. In fact, they say it's actually in many cases stronger than steel. Stronger than steel? This liquid can become stronger than steel? Let me tell you how that happens. It's because when you take, for example, a board and you put this epoxy on there, and then you take another board and stick it to it, what happens is the pores of the one board become one with the pores of the other board. That's what gives it its strength. The pores of one object becomes one with the pores of the other object. And that's exactly what Jesus was getting at in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, when it says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. The word join, I'm not kidding you, you go look it up in your Greek concordance, the word join literally means to be glued together. The word joined in the Greek means to be glued together. And the Lord flashed me back last night, or yesterday afternoon, back into Genesis when God instituted marriage in the garden. And he said to Adam, he says, pertaining to marriage, he said, for this reason, what reason? For this reason, Adam, for this reason, he said, for marriage, the sake of marriage. He said, a man shall leave his mother and his father, and he shall cleave to his wife. Leave and cleave. <laughs> the word cleave there literally means, in the Hebrew, to be glued together with his wife. When he said, he that is joined unto the Lord, he was literally saying, he that is glued to the Lord. I want to ask you a question. Do you think epoxy is stronger than Emmanuel? <laughs> I don't, do you? The, the Bible says Emmanuel is God with us. I think Emmanuel is much stronger than epoxy. We are one together. Let me talk about this thing for a second here. You actually have two syringes. 
one contains resin and the other one contains hardener. And what I wrote on the back side of these things was justification and righteousness to kind of help drive home this point that when justification and righteousness come together, a miracle takes place. By faith, of course. There's one plunger up here that's connected. And so as you squeeze, there's two separate ends that it comes out of, but it comes out in equal amounts. Whatever you're working with, you have five minutes before it sets up, so you better work quickly. You get five minutes before it sets. In 24 hours, it cures. It takes 24 hours to cure. But the exciting thing is, that I learned about it, is once cured, it cannot be uncured. In other words, there's nothing that you can do to it to take it back to its original state. And when you think about justification and righteousness, when you become righteous, once cured, and it's an instant thing with Jesus. It's not 24 hours with Jesus. He doesn't need a committee like everything else in this world to see if we can accept you into the club and to the family. He says, listen, if you'll put your faith and your trust in me, you'll be born again instantly. If I was to take the resin and squirt it out on something and stick something else to it, all I would do is have a wet surface. It would do absolutely nothing. If I was to take the hardener and try to glue something together with just a hardener, it would do absolutely nothing. But it's when they come together, there's a chemical reaction that takes place. And it's the same thing when the Holy Spirit comes together with the Spirit of grace into our heart. There is a DNA change that takes place. There's a DNA change. That's the old man has died. He's died. He is no longer there. Oh, my, my. Once cured, it cannot be uncured. Someone might say, okay, I'm going to answer this question for you. If my righteousness cannot be uncured, then why bother with the Christian life? It's too hard. I've heard this before. Listen, I've heard it before many times. It's too hard. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard, not the way of the Christian. When a believer gets the revelation of righteousness, they can supernaturally walk in fire. And I've heard the stories before of people being martyred in other countries, burned at the stake. And I've thought about this. I mean, if I was going to choose to die, I don't think there would be any way I would, I wouldn't want to go by fire, would you? I mean, I, I, mean, I would pick anything but fire. But I've heard the stories written by eyewitnesses of people who have been martyred that were believers, and they were martyred for their faith. And they said, as the flames were licking their body, there was a joy of the Lord on their face. I, I can't even comprehend that. They understood who they were. If they had not understood who they were, they probably would have just renounced their faith and said, okay, you know, I don't know him. But they chose to stand for Christ. But they knew who they were. They knew this righteousness was real. They can sleep in the midst of storms. They can have peace in the midst of a lion's den. I was two months old in Jesus. I've told you the story before when my son Taylor died. I won't get into the whole story, but I was two months old in Jesus. I got saved in August. In October, one of my sons died. I didn't have the message of grace. I didn't actually have this message of grace that I have now. 
But you know what I was doing? I was flowing in the reality of righteousness. I didn't have the message totally of righteousness, but I was flowing. I was on this honeymoon with him, and I was still, it was still seeping out of my pores. I was so excited about him. Oh, I got to bring in those anti-grace people, anti-grace folks. <laughs> and Romans dealt with that in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Boy, I tell you, people will get religious on you. Well, brother, you know, it's just a license to sin. I told a guy I was talking to this morning. I said, a license? He, yeah, we, he doesn't believe in the grace message because it's a license to sin. I said, I know of no minister that's preaching grace that will tell you. In fact, if you ever hear me say it's a license to sin, I would expect every one of you to get up and walk out that minute. And I would walk out with you. It is not a license to sin. It's not a license of sin. The Apostle Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? He says, by no means. We died to sin. The word sin there is a noun. It's not, it's not a verb. It's not saying we died to all of our actions. We're going to continue to make mistakes. We're going to continue to sin from time to time. But what he's saying is there was a DNA change. The man, the man, the DNA you had, the nature you had, that's what you died to, the spirit man. He says we died to sin, so it's impossible to sin in my spirit anymore. If I sin, I sin in my soul, I sin in my body. But I'm not sinning in my spirit he says, no, by no means. We died to sin. He says, how is it possible to live in it any longer? You died to it. Oh, man. Listen, let me tell you something about wanting to sin. I don't go pick a fight because I've got good insurance. And I know my insurance will pay my hospital bill. That would just be crazy. I go up to you and say, man, I want to pick a fight with you because I've got good dental insurance, man. Wouldn't that be ridiculous? That's what the Apostle Paul was addressing. He's saying, listen, sin? What are you talking about? Why would you want to do that? <laughs> it's crazy. And so he tackles how you deal with something like that in Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. He says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As I was thinking about this passage, it came to my mind one of the types and shadows in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is full of types and shadow of Christ, types and shadow of grace, types and shadow of righteousness all over the place. Aaron, Moses' brother, is a type of Christ. How is he a type of Christ? Because he was the first high priest. And Jesus became our last <laughs> exceedingly great high priest. We don't have any more high priests, right? Jesus fulfilled that. Aaron was the first, Jesus was the last. So he's a type of Christ. And so Moses is on Mount Sinai, and God is telling him, giving him the assignment, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to stand before this wicked man, and you're going to have a message to tell him to let my people go. <laughs> Let my people go. And so when they get there, Pharaoh meets them, and they say, God has sent us to you with a message. Let my people go. And it's the same message God is saying today. Let my people go. Quit holding on to the law. And Pharaoh goes, can you show me some sort of miracle so that you can validate that you really are tapped into God? Moses looked at Aaron and said, Aaron, 
throw your rod down. Aaron threw his rod down, and the Bible says when he threw his rod down that it turned into a snake. That startled Pharaoh a little bit. He looked at his enchanters, his magicians, his astrologers that he was surrounded by, and he said, can you guys do that? Oh yeah, we can do that. And the amazing thing, and I don't quite fully get it, other than it had to be God, because you cannot throw a stick on the ground and have it become a snake. <laughs> I lived in Virginia, I know this. There's snakes and sticks everywhere. Sticks don't turn into snakes. So they threw their staffs on the ground, their, their rods on the ground, and they all turned into a bunch of snakes. And then the Bible says Aaron's snake ate up all the other snakes. That is actually a type and shadow of grace. You see, when the enemy sends things into our life, when he sends the vipers into our life, the Bible says, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. These are two different Greek words. They're the same English word, but they're two different Greek words. The Bible says, where sin abounded, literally it says grace super abounded. <laughs> where there were a bunch of snakes, grace said, just a second, I'll eat up those snakes. In Exodus chapter 4, if we rewind the tape back a little bit, there's a rehearsal for this. You see Moses having this conversation with God, and he says, what am I going to do when I go to Pharaoh? He said, what's in your hand? He said, well, it's a, it's a, it's a staff. It's a rod. He said, throw it on the ground. <laughs> Moses threw it on the ground. It turned into a snake. So he'd already seen this happen once, right? And the Bible says Moses ran from it. Do you know there are people that are running from the message of grace and the message of righteousness simply because they say that cannot be. I don't want to throw away all my old sermons that have been canon and preaching for many years. I don't want to think differently. I'm telling you, you'll find freedom. We haven't preached anything we've preached before anywhere. This is all about grace. In John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, you find that in Numbers chapter 23, as when people were getting bitten, and Moses was crying out to the Lord, he said to Moses, take a serpent and put it on a bronze pole. He said, when people look upon that serpent, he said, they'll be healed. What is that a type and shadow of? It's a type and shadow of Christ. Because Jesus said to Nicodemus, he says, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, he said, so too the Son of Man might be lifted up. When you looked on that serpent, you were healed. But he said, guess what? I'll give you some really good news. You only have to believe on me to be healed. Just believe. That's it. The Apostle Paul, in closing, is clearly telling the Romans in chapter 4 that Abraham and anyone who believes in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, is declared righteous apart from any contribution on their behalf. Romans chapter 4 verse 2, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Friends, this righteousness we have is freely given to those in Christ and cannot be forfeited by our failures. That is the good news. Therefore, 
since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ for that reason in Jesus' name. Father, I want to thank you for your goodness and your grace. What an amazing, amazing, amazing heart you have. But that's because we have eyes to see. We have ears to hear and we have a heart to receive the goodness of the Lord. Father, never again, never again will I be put back under the message of condemnation. You said that the law is the ministry of condemnation. It's the ministry of death. Oh, and I found how to live in Christ. Father, I speak great grace and I speak great life over your people in Jesus' name. May they receive this word. May they receive it with great joy. And Father, may it be indelibly imprinted on their hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you receive that word today? Amen.